Let us pray. Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture reading upon which this message is based comes from Psalm, not Psalm, but Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 to 28. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength that they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. So far, the reading of God's word. Now, we're going to be looking over four weeks at uh, five verses in the book of Proverbs that call out four little creatures, uh, showing us how wise they are beyond their size. In fact, if you caught it, uh, not Solomon, but Agur, who wrote this particular chapter, uh, says that they are extremely wise. Of these four creatures, the lizard, the locust, and the ant, You can find in any garden, probably, in your neighborhood. But one of four of these you'll find in any typical garden, provided your garden is in a rocky plateau in the Middle East or in East Africa. This little animal is the hyrax, and it only lives in that part of the world. Now, when the King James Version of the Bible was first being translated, they didn't even know what a hyrax was in England. And so they used the word, if you have an old King James Bible, they called him a coney. Now, I don't know if that's because he looked like a coney dog uh, or not. I didn't probably know what a coney dog was either back in those days. But they called him a coney. Now, other translations uh, have used the word badger. Uh, They've used the word rock badger. They have used the word rabbit. And if you had the New American Standard Version of the Bible, it doesn't even bother to translate the word It just transliterated the Hebrew Shephanim. So if you've got an NASB, it'll talk about the Shephanim, who is small. But the hyrax is actually the proper word for this rather unique little animal. It looks a little bit like a rabbit. It looks a little bit like a badger or a rodent. It might even look like a guinea pig on steroids. Uh, But there's an amazing fact about this little animal It may look like a rodent of sorts, but believe it or not, it is most closely related to the elephant and the manatee. I was amazed when I did that. In fact, it even has little tusks. You can see little tusks on the big picture. Here are just a few interesting facts about the hyrax. They spend 95% of their time doing what we call hanging out, Uh, just kind of lying around sunbathing and relaxing. Now, when I read that, I thought, well, any animal that's figured out how to organize its life in such a way that it just hangs out and naps all day uh, is an animal worth studying. Uh, The hyrax is also um, very small. It's only typically about two foot long, although there is some fossil evidence they have found that they claim that it at one time was about as big as a pony. The other interesting thing about it is that they communicate uh, with one another by using 21 
identifiable vocalizations, everything from yips to grunts to wails and snorts, and then they also whistle as well. Uh, another interesting thing about them is they, their padded feet um, are prone to sweat. It, what that does is it gives their paws a kind of a suction-like, a suction cup-like quality that make them rather sure-footed rock climbers, which works pretty well in their favor, as we are going to see. But now, the writer of this particular chapter, Ager, uh, in verse 26, he says, Hyraxes, they aren't powerful, but they make their homes among the rocks. Now, when I was putting this message series together, I remember thinking to myself one day, you know, I don't know how many times I have ever read, you know, through my Bible, and in particular, how many times I would have ever read Proverbs chapter 30, but I typically breezed right through these verses because I really didn't know much about any of these animals. Uh, you know, ants, where I grew up, uh, were meant to be squished or sprayed, or, you know, if you're a kid, get your magnifying glass out and see if you can light one on fire. Uh, locusts, nobody liked locusts, particularly I lived in a farming community growing up. Uh, the lizard, you know, I do everything I can to keep those little buggers out of my house. I see them every once in a while out in the back patio sunning themselves. And a hyrax, or I grew up with the King James, I had no idea what a coney was. Uh, so I did not know anything about these animals. I didn't bother with these animals. And quite honestly, I didn't know what was so smart about living among the rocks. Now, if Solomon had said the Hyrax was wise because he had a nice home within walking distance of the seashore, that would have made more sense to me. Or if he would have said uh, he had a home in the rocks and that meant he had a really wonderful view of the scenery around him, that might have made a difference too. As it turns out, really what that verse says is this, the wisdom of the Hyrax is that it knows what it takes to survive in fact, hyraxes don't just merely survive, they thrive. Now, you could say that a hyrax knows how to live the good life. Now, the fact that this little animal, the fact is that this animal also has an abundance of predators. Where it lives, typically the cobra would like nothing better than a hyrax meal. Mountain lions, wild dogs, wolves. And especially the eagle, as it would be soaring through the canyons, would love to spot a hyrax. But in spite of this, the hyrax has learned how to avoid danger and live safely. Now, let me move that into our sphere for a moment. Some of you probably know the Bible verse in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, which talks about how the devil, like a roaring lion, is walking around looking for some juicy Lutherans, huh? looking for people to devour. The Bible also says, as a reminder, that you and I do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the principalities and the powers. I mean, Satan is out to get us each and every day. However, in spite of the fact that we live in a spiritual war zone, in spite of the fact that most people around you will fall victim to the enemy's schemes, the truth is that together, you and I have a better chance of survival in spite of it all. You can live the good life if you consider the wisdom, and actually we can call it the extreme or abundant wisdom of this hyrax. Now, the hyrax doesn't look like he has a problem in the world. I mean, not that little guy up there, but the truth is he does. He is a preferred menu item. 
But when it comes to spiritual warfare, you, are, you and I are also the main course. Hyraxes have more than their fair share, uh, but that doesn't stop them from living the good life. Now, why is it? It's because they have a system in place, what I call strategic checkpoints, to ensure that the essentials of life are well taken care of. Now, today I just want to talk about three checkpoints of the Christian life. There are kind of three levels of security that every person needs to make sure that they have in place. Checkpoint number one is know who to listen to. If you have your television on at all, is everybody on that boob tube worth listening to? No, not at all. My wife and I were talking a little bit about reality television this morning. I'm not even going to mention, she said she was too tired to change the channel the other night, and she watched the show, and she said she couldn't figure out what any of it was all about. It wasn't worth the time or the effort. Um, But now earlier I mentioned that the Hyrax communicates with 21 different vocalizations. One of the vocalizations is a kind of a shrill warning cry that they will send whenever uh, danger is nearby. And the Hyrax community almost always has a sentry. It's like somebody standing on the wall watching near their dwelling on the lookout for a predator. And one of them spotted the sentry will let out a yell. And when they do, the Hyrax community hits the rocks. They disappear. They know to pay attention. And as I said, it's a variety of communication, and this is because they are a very loud and sociable group of people, much like a church, much like your small group Bible studies. They're loud and sociable, but when the sentry sounds, they learned to listen. When they hear the cry, they scatter to a safe place. Now, we all encounter warnings every day. Uh, On my phone and Nancy's phone, we have something that's called Code Red. Anybody happen to know what Code Red is? It's a little warning system you can download on your smartphone, and whenever there's bad weather or anything, it makes the most horrendous sound. It'll scare you the very first time, but it's a warning. So when I hear that, I immediately look, and it'll tell me when there's storms approaching or hail imminent or a tornado or whatever. But there are all kinds of warnings that we we have every day, and if you ever bought a product, uh, you've countered warnings like this. Many of them are just plain stupid, like the washing machine that says, do not put a person in the washer. Yeah, okay. I guess I can do that one. Or how about this one? Uh, Dog medicine that warns it may cause drowsiness, so use care while operating a car. Now, I I have seen Fido in the front seat with some people, but I seriously doubt that he's driving the pickup down to buy groceries at the Walmart. Or the Yellow Pages ad that says, do not use this directory while you operating a moving vehicle. Or how about the t-shirt transfer that says, do not iron while wearing shirt. <laughs> or the computer manual that says, never hammer a nail into the battery pack. Yeah, okay. I especially like this last one. It's a catch-all advisory If you do not understand or cannot read all directions, cautions, and warnings, do not use this product. Think about that one for a while. Some of it's kind of like... (laughs) Now, we come across 
all kinds of warnings each and every day. And most of them we have just plain simple chosen to ignore. But there are some warnings that we need to heed. And the wisest among us know who the sentry is. They know who the voice is out in the wilderness. They know who the voice of authority is. And they know that when this person speaks, they're going to pay attention. Let me give you some other examples of how this works in your own life. When a doctor tells you you're heading for a heart attack, wise people will hear that voice and they'll do something about it. They'll heed the warning. When your spouse says, honey, we need to talk, the wise hear it and will pay attention. Now, by the way, that only works one way. None of you notice this, but when your wife says, honey, we need to talk, you're going to talk, whether you want to talk or not. Now, I'm just going to tell you, you want to try it the other way around sometime and say to your wife, honey, we need to talk. You know what she's going to say? No, we don't. (laughs) And she's going to move on. Just the way it is. I'm just kidding. You know, when you're, um, the stuff your teenager does or the stuff your teenager says or the stuff your teenager brings home uh, illustrates a behavior that doesn't quite measure up, wise people will notice that and they will take necessary action. Now, here's what I'm saying. The hyrax knows how to survive and even thrive because in the midst of all of its community chatter, he knows who to listen to. He understands that he can't make it on his own. He needs other people in his life who are looking out for him, and he needs to listen to what they say. Now, checkpoint number two is know who to stay connected to. Now, here's something rather interesting about the Hyrax. Their communities typically number between about 50 to 80. You know, 50 to 80 of them living in community. They are the at least according to the stuff I've read, are the first non-human species in which structural balance is the norm. What this means is that they follow the rule uh, that the friend of my friend is also my friend. What it means is they probably invented social networking. Uh, you know, but your friend is my friend is your friend. Now, the Hyrax uh, culture is a community with what we call an egalitarian culture. All that really means is everyone is the same as everyone else. We don't treat anybody differently because of how tall they are, how short they are, how round they are, less round than they are, whatever color they are, whatever. The Hyrax understands this. We are all in this together. We need to look out for one another. Now, some of you perhaps maybe have read this book or know about this man, Viktor Frankl. He's a man who knows what it means to survive. Uh, He spent three years in a Nazi uh, death camp and was the only member of his family to make it out alive. And years later, when he wrote this book, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, he explored the question, what are man's deepest needs? He determined that this is one of them, that we need to be in relationships where we are unconditionally loved. We need to be in a relationship where we know that we are being looked after and where we are going to be taken care of when we have problems. Now, I think you know as well as I do that those kind of relationships don't just happen. I mean, just because you happen to be in a family or just because you happen to be in a church 
doesn't mean that you're living in community with those people. You have to seek out meaningful relationships where you're unconditionally loved no matter what. It's more than just sharing space with other people or breathing the same air with other people on a Sunday morning. We need people with whom we can openly and honestly share our lives. Now, there is a word in the New Testament. It's used about 20 times. It is a word with a special meaning for the church these days. The word is koinonia. Koinonia. It describes people living together in a state of community, joint participation, sharing and intimacy. Or you see the definition up there. Intimate spiritual communion and participative sharing in a common religious commitment and spiritual community. Now, the first time that that word is used is in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. Luke is describing the very first church, and he's going to describe this place where a voice can be heard and where you can find some community. He says, they, and he's talking about the local church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the what? Fellowship. To the koinonia. That's the word right there. And the breaking of bread and the prayer, all of the believers were together and had everything in common. And then it goes on, he says, then selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Now, this is how the church started. I mean, how did St. Mark's get here? Guess what? It wasn't because somebody had some idea in Texas. It started back in the New Testament. This is where the church began, the Christian church. Uh, And this has always been God's ideal for the church. He wants members of this group to stay connected. He wants people to stay connected because he knows that there's going to become some time when you're going to need to be loved and cared for. He wants you to stay connected because he knows that there's a place where you can hear the sounding alarm from time to time and call you to action. He wants us to look out for each other. Now, we don't always live this way, but the hierarchs does. And that's why uh, Agur here says that they are exceedingly wise. And that's why we need to follow their example. We need each other. That's churches. Who has it said? We either all hang together or we hang apart. We need to be together. We need to be in koinonia, in fellowship. Now, when I define that word fellowship, my goofy definition is always that fellowship is two fellows on the same ship. Now, by that I mean you got two people that are on the same boat going in the same direction for the same purpose. If you are in fellowship here, guess what? We are all on the same boat. We're all going in the same direction for the same purpose. Whenever you don't want to go in the direction this fellowship's going, whenever you don't want to be in fellowship with the people in here, you're not part of the koinonia. You're kind of out on your own. Now, I heard about a woman who had a habit uh, of going to the post office every day to buy stamps. Uh, She'd stand in line, very patiently, wait her turn, and the clerk would always greet her with a smile and say, Good morning, Mrs. Johnson. How are you feeling today? And she'd say, Oh, I'm fine, except for a few aches and pains. And the clerk would say, Well, uh, it's good to see you. I I I hope you're feeling better really soon. But, But what can I do for you today? 
And every day she would buy two stamps, two stamps. And one day <coughs> the clerk said, you know, you can buy a whole book of stamps out of the little machine in the lobby. I mean, the stamp machine's a whole lot more convenient. And she said, well, maybe uh, that's true, but then the stamp machine won't ask me how I'm doing every morning. Now, my guess is uh, Mrs. Johnson probably had a big stack of stamps at home, but her trip to the post office each and every day was her way of staying connected. That's the lesson here, is that we all need this kind of connection, and when we find it, we need to be wise enough to hang on to it. Centuries ago, there um, was a pastor by the name of John Fawcett, uh, he was the pastor of a very poor church in uh, Waynesgate, England. Uh, and since he was a rather talented and dynamic preacher, he received a lot of offers from other churches for him to come and be their pastor. And he was finally offered a rather prestigious position, great opportunity, large, very wealthy church in London. But it presented to him a tremendous problem. He dearly loved that little church in Waynesgate, and it was just absolutely killing him to go. But he felt like maybe God was calling him, so he and his wife packed up all of their belongings. When all of their belongings were packed away in a wagon, members of the church gathered to come and see them off. And during the goodbyes, Mary Fawcett turned to her husband and said, John, I can't stand to leave. I just can't bear it. And he thought for a moment, he said, neither can I, and so we won't. This is our home, these are our people, and we're staying right here. He served that congregation for 54 years. His entire ministry, 54 years in one church. Now, shortly after he made that decision to stay, he sat down in his study one afternoon and he wrote these words. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship, the koinonia of kindred minds, is like to that above. There's more verses. We're going to sing them to close the service today. But we share each other's woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. Friends, that's koinonia. That's the power of fellowship. That's the power of a relationship. That's the power that God put in us, that God created us to need it. That's why I'm really kind of excited about, you know, down in prison, they really don't call them churches so much as they call them fellowships. Because they are a bunch of fellows on the same ship going in the same direction for the cause of Jesus Christ. See, if you've been trying to kind of carve out your own little isolated existence, uh, to be your own little island, uh, you need to know that you really never really survive and thrive unless you stay connected somehow to other people. Everybody needs to be a, a part of a group of people where you can actually laugh and cry. You need that koinonia, and when you're part of that group, you need to laugh and cry with them because that's what it's all about. I mean, that's why things like Sunday school classes and adult Bible studies and small groups are such a good idea. It's not just what we learn when we're there. It's about what we experience when we're in communion with each other. It's like the hyrax. God wants us to stay connected. Now, that leads us really to my, my third strategic checkpoint 
the kind of kind of koinonia I've been talking about so far is kind of been two-dimensional. Two-dimensional. It's kind of uh, vertical and horizontal. And not only should we be, clo- be growing closer to one another, we should also be clo- growing closer to God, but it would probably be better off being illustrated with a triangle. I believe that God wants us, every relationship you have, your marriage, your circle, your friends, your fellowship at church, God wants every relationship to be shaped like a triangle. And this is what I mean by, you know, I'm here over here, husband, Nancy's over here, wife. And what happens is, uh, and God's up there, but the closer we get to God, guess what? The closer we get together. Now, I don't care what you put down on the other side. Put yourself, your children. The closer you and your children get to God, the closer you get to each other. Now, that's, this little triangle kind of leads us through the third checkpoint, and that is know when to run to the rocks. Now, earlier, before I said, remember, the hyrax has padded feet that sweat, so it gives him kind of <laughs> suction cup quality. Uh, he is really good at rock climbing. Uh, they have learned a technique that protects them against virtually all of their enemies, and as a result, they've learned that the rocks are the safest place to be. Psalm 104 talks about the high racks as well. And it said the crags are a refuge for the high racks. And it only makes sense that when danger occurs, they run to the rock. They run to their refuge. That's what you and I need to do too. When trouble appears, what do we need to do? We need to run to the rocks. Literally, though, we need to run to the rock. The one the New Living Translation says is the towering rock of safety. Or one of my favorite Bible passages, which is Psalm 95. It says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to who? The rock of our salvation. See, that's where we need to run. And when we run, we need to take as many people with us as possible. I was watching some, some uh, film of a tornado not long ago, and where this guy was frantically trying to grab everybody he could and drag them to the storm shelter. I mean, he, I was wondering how big that storm shelter was, because he, well, he just packed them in, but he wanted to get as many people in there as he possibly could, and he had animals in there. He saw a chicken in the barn, and he grabbed it, he just threw it in there. You want as many people brought to safety as possible. See, if your family is in trouble, that's the time to run to the rock. And if you can, you get the rest of your family to run with you. It's the same way in a church. When a church faces conflict or a financial crisis or some sort of persecution or opposition, do you know what you need to do? You run to the rock and you huddle up for safety. Now, that needs to be our, our reaction in any difficult situation. When temptation is about to knock us down, when you feel like the enemy's closing in, it's time to do what? Run to the rock. God is your rock. He is my rock. He's, he's your refuge. He's your safety net. And when trouble comes, you move in his direction in every way possible. Now, just like the feet of the hyrax are biologically disposed to life on the rocks, guess what? It's in your DNA and in my DNA as well. When you're living near the rock, 
your wife, your, your life begins to work the way it's supposed to work. Now, friends, you and I have got enemies all around us. Some of them are pretty sneaky. I read something the other day that says, you know, even the devil blesses people. That's pretty sneaky. You bring things into your life that appear to be a blessing. But guess what? God will never put a blessing into your life that takes you away from him. Think about that. He'll never bring a blessing to your life that's going to move you away from him. See, the world is not a safe and friendly place. Uh, You never know when you're going to encounter a dog driving a car under the influence of some barbiturate. (laughs) Like that picture I showed you before. It's dangerous out there. Life is tough. We cannot afford to bury our heads in the sand. But neither does God expect us to go through this life all paranoid and and afraid of our own shadow or afraid of every day. He made you to survive life's toughest moments. And not just to survive, but to thrive. He created you to live a good life, a great life, full of meaning and full of adventure. Now, we we can do that if we follow the wisdom of the Hyrax. And what we need to do is we need to know who to listen to. We need to listen to and we need to know who to hang out with. You've heard this before. You cannot soar like an eagle if you hang around with turkeys. You cannot be with a bunch of people who are always going to be tearing you down and taking you down and pointing you in the wrong direction. You don't believe that? Go back and check out Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. But there are plenty of people who walk with bad people, sit with people, talk with people, and end up where they don't want to be. Listen to people who have it. Get godly advice. You need to know whose hand you can hold on to. You need to know where you can run when there's trouble around, and you learn to do it together. And we need to be kind of like this little community of furry little creatures. Now, I'm not saying St. Mark's is a bunch of furry little creatures, but maybe so. Maybe so. So we need to, let, we need to make our home together near the rock and spend our lives looking out for each other. And we might add, and draw as many people into that rescue mission as possible. May God bless us in that pursuit. Amen.